we're going to begin. If someone was going to make a, uh, a horror series on a TV show, I think they could just take the first half of our year and it would be perfect. Because um, yesterday, one more episode, you know my Auntie Anna? Okay, so Auntie Anna's daughter, Esther, who had some physical struggles over the past few years. And about two months ago, they tried to do a surgery, and um, something went wrong, and she stopped breathing, and she went into a coma, and um, yesterday she passed away. So yeah, yesterday I lost my cousin, 44-year-old Esther Abud, alayhi shalom. Isn't it crazy that like every other class we start off with, with me huffing and puffing and... So today's class is dedicated in her memory. And you'll see how beautiful this was. You know, her and her husband were from the founders of Hatzalah of Jersey Shore, like 15 years ago. And he was one of the major Hatzalah members. He's unbelievable. And she was a, a major dis- dispatcher. So the Hatzalah members of the Jersey Shore got together and dedicated this class in memory of their dispatcher, as they call her, D1 who helped them found the organization in 2002. And she just was such an unbelievable volunteer, such a good person, such a wonderful person. It's always positive, caring, loving. Whenever I saw her, she'd have comments on all the classes of ours that she's listening to. My Aunt Anna has two daughters and now lost one of them. So um, it's a rough week for us. But I can't give another tough class. I'm kind of maxed out on that subject. So we're going to try to do a regular class in memory of Esther Chayabatchana, or Esther Abatchana. And Hashem should console her brothers, Nathan and Charles, her sister Sylvia, and my Aunt Anna, and the rest of us, and her husband Avi, her children who are Wonder, her husband's a prince, and her children are really wonderful, wonderful children. Her daughter got married a couple of years ago. It was such an emotional ceremony. And her two single children, Rachel and Eliyahu, and Hashem should give them condolences and strength. And they should have Nechama from Shemaim, and we really do need Mashiach like the Chilak. Okay. Okay. As you know, we're off the next two weeks, so our next class is February 1st. I think that's the date, February 1st. So put it in your phone, February 1st. So we have a community, thank God, that we all love each other. Is it January 31st? Are you sure? Like if you came February 1st, it's on a Thursday? Thursday, Friday. Oh yeah, that makes sense. So you got it. Okay. So January 31st. Don't come February 1st. Don't. Don't. Maybe someone else goes to class then. We're January 31st. The last day of the month. Got it? Okay. So we are a community that loves each other a tremendous amount. 
We care about each other a tremendous amount. We give to one another a tremendous amount. We're aware of what's going on in each other's lives to a tremendous degree. We do almost everything together. And from all of that, it creates a lot of pressure. And this is the week that people would expect me to give like a whole class on winter vacation. I'm not really going to do that. Tied to that subject too. <laughs> I don't have anything to give classes about anymore. <laughs> but I'd like to talk about the pressure. And I don't mean financial pressure, I really don't. I mean just the pressure. The pressure that it feels like to be a member of this community. I'm going to try to spend only two minutes describing the problem and the duration of the class solving it. And in the process, we're going to understand, you know, in this week's parashah, the Jewish people, Hashem starts the ten plagues, the miracles that are going to get us out of Egypt. And next week's parashah, we leave Egypt. We're not doing a class next week, God willing. So we leave Egypt. And once we leave, God gives us a mitzvah. The first mitzvah, like directly related to Egypt, is the mitzvah of wearing tefillin. I'd like to know how tefillin and the exodus from Egypt have a powerful connection. But let me first describe the problem. I'm walking out of Shul on Saturday, on Friday night, and a man comes out with me just with a thought. This man likes to share things. He shares a thought, and I thought the thought was powerful. He says, Rabbi, you know, confidence is critical. I said, I agree. He says, and anava, humility is critical. I said, I agree. He says, do you realize that humility and confidence are the same thing? I said, same thing? I said, maybe I understand that they don't conflict. You could be humble and you could be confident. I agree that the same person could be both. But what do you mean it's the same thing? He said, no, it's the same thing. He says, because what's the definition of humility? I know who I am. What's the definition of confidence? I know who I am. He said, so humility and confidence have the same definition. They both, in essence, mean I know who I am. The challenge that we have is that as the community gets bigger and as social media becomes more prevalent and we know everything about everybody all the time, we as individuals start to become smaller. And we start to have fewer and fewer people who know and are comfortable with who I am. Again, I'm not talking about vacations. But whenever we go, we seem to all go together. So people go to Sukkot, they go together. If they go Thanksgiving, a lot of them go together. If they go New Year's, they said that two weeks ago, Florida was like a deal. Everyone was there. Now, in the week from now, everyone's going to be over there. You know that place. Okay? <laughs> everyone's going to be there. And I'm not talking about it. I'm just talking about the fact that it's just everyone's together. So there's a beauty to it. And I want to be so clear. There is a beauty to it because it's so much easier to keep kosher. It's so much easier to pray and have minyanim. It's best because our kids, no matter how religious or not religious they are, staying together and they're with each other. So there's some fantastic things. Don't get me wrong. But for this problem, it just makes it worse because you start to feel such an intense pressure that you kind of forget your own identity and your own person. 
So my goal with this class is to bring that back. Is to bring you back. Is to help us find our own individualism and be comfortable with it. You know, we were given five senses. You have the sense of touch, sense of sight, smell, hearing, and taste. Five senses. You agree, five senses? What's unique about those five senses is that really what they're there for is to give you a minute or a second to kind of feel on your own. No one can feel for you. No one can see for you. No one can hear for you. No one can taste for you. No one can smell for you. You all, it's all you. So those five senses are kind of a way to focus yourself, to bring yourself back in. Like, you know, just try for a second, like just touch your fingers and realize that you're touching your fingers. Or look at something and realize you're looking at it. It brings you back in. We have five senses. When we wear tefillin, when men wear tefillin every day, I don't know if you know this, but there's the, they wear a box on their head and a box on their arm. The box on the head is really four boxes. You ever notice the tefillin? It has like lines on the top. That's because those lines, each one is another box. The box on your head is really four boxes. The box on your arm is one box. It's one big flat box. Ever many? Is it true? Am I saying the truth? One flat box and then four boxes. In other words, Tefillin has five boxes for the five senses. Because that's what it's here to do. To focus my senses. Let me make it even clearer. I have one, se- I have one sense in my hand and four senses in my face. Smell, hearing, Seeing and taste is all in my face. That's why the tefillin shorosh, the tefillin on my head, has four boxes. And the tefillin shayah, the tefillin on my hand, has one box. Because the goal of the tefillin is to focus yourself back in. To sort of understand for a minute, who are you? Who am I? What do I feel? What do I hear? What do I see? What do I taste? What do I smell? What do I like? What am, who am I? To try to make this a little easier to do. I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to feel a little strange. Human beings are unique. They're unique in that we're able to think. Nobody else, no, one, no other being on the planet can think. Only human beings can think. That you know already. But let me tell you what else makes that makes human beings unique. Is human beings can think about the fact that they're thinking. Did you get that? You can think, you can think on your own, and you can think about yourself. So try this for a minute. Go think, be like over here, and think about yourself. Think about like, what am I thinking right now? What am I doing right now? Where am I right now? Think about yourself. Can you do that? Can you try it? You just thought about yourself? Good. Let me give you an example of what I did to try to explain to you exactly what I mean. So, you know, a few weeks, a month, two months ago it is already, my daughter got into a major car accident in my car. Okay, thank God she was good, everyone's okay, and thank God I'll take it any day of the week. But I had to, since it was in my car, I had to go rent a car. And insurance covers the rent a car, and they tell you the certain kind of cars that they cover. And I thought, okay, I'll have it for a week, so it's okay, whatever it is. 
Next thing you know, I had this car for like five or six weeks. And I hated it. Because I, I didn't like the color. I didn't like the seats. I missed my heated seats. Now, I don't have the sharpest car in the world. I really don't, especially for this community. Really don't. But it's just a little better than this one. So I missed the heated seats. And then the worst, I missed my CD deck. I had a CD deck. The rent-a-car didn't have it. And the worst part about rent-a-car, the worst part about the rent-a-car, it had this old, archaic device called a key. <laughs> Who has like, a key? Like I was like, every time I had to take out the key and put it in the ignition and get it into my coat and there's books in my hand, it was the worst. When they, first time I ever had a car with the button, I was like, what do I need this for? And now all of a sudden I have a, the car with the key, I really, every time I was like, Hashem, just give me my car back. And then I thought about myself for a minute. I said, Joey, why do you want your car back? Do you want your car back because you enjoy it more? Which is half a problem, me just spoiled. Or do we have a bigger problem? Do you want your car back because you don't like the way you look in the rental car? Which one is it? Now one is spoiled, but the other one is worse. Because the other one means that when you think about you, it's all about how you're perceived. And it's not about you, actual you. It's not about what you touch, what you taste, or you feel, smell, and see. It's not about you. It's about what you think. Michaels, do you even know who the authentic you is? Do you know what your feelings really are? Do you know what you really like? Do you know the true you? Are you ever, do you stop and be honest and acknowledge who are you? What do you want? What do you like? What do you enjoy? What are you, what's your purpose? What's you? Now there's someone somewhere who might listen to this class and say, Oh Rabbi, you sound like those people who say I'm being my true inner self. And my inner self means I was born as a man and now I have to become a woman because that's my true you. No, that's not what I mean. I want to be very clear that's not what I mean. True you doesn't mean be whatever you want to be. True you means be the ultimate you. Be the best you. Be the, the you you respect. Be the you you admire. Be the you you're really truly happy being. Be the you that you're proud to be. Not because others, but because inside of your soul you're proud to be you. In fact, those five senses are not really, not really physical. Do you realize three of them are in some essence spiritual? The sense of sight, smell, and hear. They're so spiritual that all three of those have pisukim that write that God has that. It says, Vayishma Hashem, Hashem heard. Vayar Hashem, Hashem saw. Vayarea Hashem, Hashem smelled. Because those are in essence spiritual. This is not a, it's like, it's, it's just happening to you. Yet it never ever says that Hashem touches. And never ever ever in any pasuk says that Hashem tastes. Because those are physical. So we have three that are spiritual and three that are physical. Because the spiritual is supposed to dominate when I say the true you. True you doesn't mean I do what I want. True you means I do what I know I should be. I should be. I'm the person that I truly deep down really am. I myself went through this process because when I was a teenager, 
I went to an Eskenaz yeshivish yeshiva. Very yeshivish yeshiva. One of the most yeshivish in the world. Not exaggerating, in the world. And then I would come home every Shabbat, or every, and then it became every other Shabbat, and it became once a month, and it became almost just holidays. And I was uh, just as religious, but I was an SY kid. So again, just as religious, my father's a rabbi, same thing, but I started to almost be like two people. Like I'd be in yeshiva, I'd be one guy, and then I'd be home, I'd be a little bit of another guy. Nothing really different, but just a little bit of this guy, talk this language, say the ayayay, and then come home and be like your man, and I did it back and forth. In fact, my, my yeshiva friend said, you're probably going to marry like one of our sisters. I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. But nothing against, but I just don't, you don't know the other half of me. And what happened, and I'm not sure if it was by giving classes and telling all these stories or just getting older, is those two people became one person. And I'm so much more comfortable being that one person. Because this is it. I can't hide it. Because there are people that are yeshivas that here watch the class. There's people that are very serious to watch the class. So I, I can't run back and forth and be two people. So I'm one person. And take it or leave it. And it's such an awesome feeling to be comfortable in your own skin. And it's so hard to be that sometimes when you're so conscious of what it looks like. How am I dressed? What are they seeing? What are they saying? What are they posting? What are they commenting? What do I look like? How am I dressed? What are they seeing? What are they saying? What are they commenting? What are they posting? And if you keep thinking that over and over and over again, you'd have no idea who you are. You have no idea what you really feel. You don't know what you taste, see, smell, hear, listen to. You don't even know. I want to give you a story in the Gemara that I believe is powerful. It's a very long story. I'm not going to tell you the whole thing. It's one of the longest stories in the Gemara and one of the most famous stories in the Gemara. And I'm going to share with you an observation that I just had reading the story for maybe, I don't know how, maybe the 30th time in my life. And somehow this time, I saw something that I never saw before, which to me is powerful. The story is after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, a few years after, there was a Nasi. His name was Rabban Gamliel. The Jewish nation was small, and Torah was in trouble. So Rabban Gamliel, the Nasi, felt he had to lead with a tough hand. One day he found out that there was a law that he said that there was another rabbi, Rabbi Yoshua, who disagreed. It was about Arbit and how mandatory Arbit is. So he got up in the Bet Midrash and he said, this is what I feel about Arbit. Does anyone disagree with me? Rabbi Yoshua got up and said, no. Rabbi Gamliel says, what are you saying? I heard that you, you are the one who disagrees with me. Rabbi Yoshua says, okay, so I'll tell you the truth, I can't deny it. Rabbi Gamliel says, okay, we're in this large Bamidrash, everybody's sta sit, sta sitting down, you're going to stand. And he just let Rabbi Yeshua stand in the middle of the Bamidrash, embarrassed. The Gemara writes that the rabbis of the whole Bamidrash or Yeshiva are watching this. As Rabbi Gamliel is giving his lecture, everyone's seated, and this one great rabbi, Rabbi Yeshua, is just standing there embarrassed. The rabbis in the back got together and said, this is the third time Rabban Gamliel did it. He no longer belongs as the Nasi of the Jewish people. And they removed him from his post. Now they had a decision to make. Who's going to take over? 
And they came, decided, after a lot of deliberation, they decided that Be'elazar ben Azayah is going to be the new rabbi, the new leader of the Jewish people. He's going to be the new Nasi, and he actually was a young man at the time, and at that night, Hashem made him get, he actually, this is beautiful, Gemara, you should quote this at home, before he took the position, you know what he did? They came to him and said, we want you to be the Nasi, the leader of the Jewish people. He says, you know what I got to do? I have to ask my wife. Beautiful. He asked his wife, his wife says, you're not old enough. That night, he grew white hair, white hairs, and he became the leader. To the point that there's a famous Mishnah that you read in the Haggadah, and you're not checking the rubber at this time. You're still at this t- table when they say this. I am like 70 years old. That means that now, in order to become the leader, he became like 70 years old. He started a new policy. Anybody could come and learn. Rabbi Gamliel's policy was only the most diligent and only those that are the strongest learners. Rabbi Lazav and Azayah said, no, anybody can come and learn. And then the Gemara says, and here's my point, Rabbi Gamliel felt bad. He felt bad that maybe he had held back more people from learning while he was a leader. And what I realized in learning this Gemara this week and teaching it, I said, one second. Rabbi Gamliel, you were the leader of the entire Jewish nation. When you were removed from your post, it doesn't say you felt bad. When you would now had to leave your position of power, didn't feel bad. When they put up a new leader, didn't feel bad. You didn't even feel bad when Yeshua was you embarrassed of Yeshua. You didn't feel bad about that either. You felt bad that maybe you caused people to not learn enough Torah. I said, that's a man who is so comfortable in who he is. And so confident that this is what I'm supposed to do. I am doing the right thing. If I have to be removed from my position, I take it. Because I know what I am. I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And if the whole nation disagrees, I'm fine. Because I am comfortable in my skin. I know what I'm here for. I know what I'm here to accomplish. I know why I was put on this planet. And I'm doing my best. If no one likes it, and I no longer have my position, it's okay. But here's what gets even more amazing to me. Is that day in the Beit Midrash, where Rabbi Elazar ben Azayah, this new rabbi, took over, and he allowed anyone to come and learn. The Gemara says, you know who came to learn? Rabban Gamliel. Huh? You were just removed. You were just embarrassed in public. Most people, you stay home and you hide. You're, you're coming, he comes back to the Ben Midrash to debate a subject like any other rabbi. What? Go somewhere else. Find a book. Learn in your basement. What are you doing? The answer is, if I am so confident and comfortable being me, so it's okay. It's okay. Let me contrast this with a story I heard the other day. You've heard of Maya Herman? Good. Everyone knows Keith. Everyone knows Maya Herman. Yes. Everyone knows. Good. Whenever I find out that Maya Herman was in my house, I know I'm in trouble. But anyhow, he told this story. It may have happened last year. Okay? He said he came... Someone called him to fix her oven, some appliance in the house. I think it was like January 23rd. So he's called to the house. He sees the shades are all drawn. 
all the lights are off. There's no car in the driveway. Like, I don't know. Is she home? Not home? I don't know. He goes and he knocks on the door. He waits a few minutes. A woman opens the door and says, Come in quickly, quickly, come in, come in, come in. He comes inside. She closes the door. He's like, What's going on? What, what are you doing? What am I coming in? What, what, what's happening? He says, Let me explain to you. It's winter vacation. And I don't want anyone to know that this year I didn't go away. So my lights are off, my car's out of the driveway, nothing's here, so that nobody knows that I didn't go away. Think about the confidence and the strength of Rabban Gamliel, and think about the weakness of that story. And I'm not mad at her. I'm, I don't even know who it is. It might be, you might be in this room. But I'm... Um, <laughs> But I'm, but I'm sad for her because the only way life is beautiful to live is when it's your life, when it's yours, when you do what you do and you're comfortable being you. That's my goal. So Hashem tells us this law of putting on the tefillin every day to like bring back our senses and focus them. I don't want to know what she likes, what he likes to see, what he No, no, no. What's you? Who are you? Who is the ultimate you? And don't think of it in so many other terms. And it's hard in this community. I don't even know. I just told you a story with this car. My car. I don't know. I don't know if I mastered it. I don't know. I really don't. In certain ways, I think I did. But in a lot of ways, not. Because it's so hard. Because our identity is so described by what's happening around us that it's so hard to really know what mine is of my own. And you think if it's hard for you, do you have any idea how hard it is if you're like 17? It's impossible. But that's our challenge is to make sure that we feel, allow ourselves to be ourselves. When God created man, God took man and he placed him in Gan Eden. And he told him, I'm putting you in Gan Eden to serve it and to watch it. But the commentary said, look how it says it. To serve hay. To allow it that you serve with all hay, all five of your senses and to watch and protect all five of your senses. To watch and protect and serve what you're here for. For you, you, you. And the sad thing is that within a few hours, Adam HaRishon ate from the Etzadat. What he really did is he violated all five. He saw it, he was drawn in, his wife pushed him and pressured him into it, the Nahash pressed him into it, he smelled the tree, he tasted, he touched it, saw it, he wasn't going to die by touching it, he tasted, and then he ate it and tasted it, and he violated all five. And then the Pasuk said, and to me this is so powerful, the Pasuk says, he went and he hid. He was embarrassed of himself, he went and he hid. And then the Pasuk says that you could hear God's voice through Gan Eden. And God was calling to Adam Harishon. And in his call to Adam Harishon, he used one word. 
one powerful word, one word that's so direct, that's so dynamic, that's so piercing, that's so challenging, yet so uplifting at the same time. Just one word, Adam, just one word, Ayeka, where are you? Where's you? I'm, don't tell me your wife, the snake, the tree, the tail. Where's you? Where's I put you here, the Odal, the Shomra, to watch to you, to be what I wanted you to be, to be what you were put here to be. Where did you go? Where did you go? You just in a minute got pressured by the woman who was here to serve you, by the snake who was here to serve her. What? Where'd you go? And that word is also spelled Ayeka. Ech, hey. Where's the five senses? Where is you being you for your own, for what you're supposed to be? Again, I told you, I don't know if I mastered it, but I know within my family I kind of did. Because, you know, we're very, very close on both sides. But everyone in my family, everybody, my sisters, my sisters-in-law, brothers, all, all know that I have time that I like to be by myself. I don't care if you want to make fun of it. I have time that me and my wife are spending alone. We have meetings. And the family always makes fun Oh, Joey, why don't you have a meeting about it? Oh, you can have dinner tonight? Why don't you have a meeting about what the dinner should be? And they may, I don't care. And then I have times that I'm with my kids. No cousins allowed. And they know, no cousins allowed. No, and then there are times to be with the cousins, which are awesome. But when we're not with the cousins, when I'm with my kids, I'm with my kids. That means if some cousin wants to come to Friday night table, get out. I don't mean it's so nasty, but I do. And they all know it. They all know it. And it's okay. Because I have what I think is the right me. And there's time that I need to be alone, time I need to be with my wife, time to be with my kids, and time to be with the cousins. And I'm all in on the cousins, don't worry, I'm all in. I'm a real fun uncle, joyful uncle. But, when there's a time for that. Oh, this is a trip, are you going away for a night with the kids? Yeah, only the kids. And some people, oh, what's the difference, who cares? Maybe that works for you. Doesn't work for me. For me, I need to be me. And there are people who are going to say, no, but Rabbi, but if you're so obsessed with being comfortable in your own skin and being the true you, you're not going to grow because sometimes we grow by being pressured and pushed and so on. No, 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 no. You grow, you don't grow by trying to be something you're not. You grow by looking inside of you and finding out, being the person you know you want to be. That's how you grow. Maybe others can inspire you. Maybe others can motivate you. But in the end of the day, the only question Hashem is going to ask you after 120 is Ayeka. Where are you? He's not going to ask you, why weren't you peer pressured into wearing something or saying something or doing something? He's not going to ask. He's going to ask, did you really identify the ultimate you that you're supposed to be and did you achieve it? And don't tell me about other people and the insta and the post and the comment. I really don't care. I want to know where you were. Let me tell you a beautiful statement that Hillel Hazaken made. He used to say, in the time of the Beit HaMikdash on Sukkot, they used to have parties called Simchat Beit HaShoeva. They have kind of spin-offs of that today, but then it was a powerful party. And Hillel Hazaken used to say, when he was at one of those parties, Listen to this statement. Im ani kan, if I'm here, hakol kan, everybody's here. 
You read that statement, you're like, whoa, what does that mean? If I'm here, everybody's here. If I'm here, it's as good as everybody being here. Hallel, like a little bit of humility, just like a touch. Now the truth is, if you know anything about Hillel, he's known for his humility. So how could a man who's so humble make a statement like that? Imanikan, if I'm here, hakolkan. Everybody's here. Everything is here. What does that mean? So recently I saw a beautiful, beautiful explanation. You know how sometimes you're here and you're like 30% here because the other 70% is on your phone, on dinner, on where you're coming. Sometimes you're 70% here, sometimes you're 80% here. And 20% of you is on the kids at home, the other one who's in school, your husband who's away, you, 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 you check your phone, you have something else going on, and you're all splintered all over the place. You ever feel that? You ever feel that? Yes? Hillel said, Im anikan, If I'm here, hakolkan. All of me is here. I'm completely here. I'm not half there and a quarter there and tenth there. I'm all in. That means that when I'm right here doing this, I'm not thinking, ooh, someone else is there. Ooh, somebody else is there. Maybe i got to run there. No, no, maybe i got to check up on that. Maybe I have to make sure I get a little cameo appearance over there. Let me make sure that everyone sees me there. Let me make sure I can be quick. No, no, no. Where I am is where I am. Imanikan hakol kan. All of me is here. I'm all in. It's such a powerful experience. And so easy to say. And so hard to do. Especially in our community in 2018. It's so hard to do. Because 6,000 people are going to get on a plane and go to the same place. And make sure their kids are all dressed the same. And make sure they all meet the same people. That's what they're going to do. And, 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 and they're going to say, no, but you're an individual. Individual, my foot, mommy. What are you telling me? But that's the truth. I, why can't we experience something fully in? This is the earth and heavens that God created. He created it with the hay. He created it with the hay is to be a person who has all five of those senses for themselves. Let me give you another story. This story took place only a hundred years ago. It may be the most incredible story I ever heard. There's no miracle in this story. None. Nothing spectacular. No one's going to fly. People aren't going to come back to life. But I still can't believe it. I still can't believe it. Here's the story. There's a famous yeshiva in Europe called the Slabatka Yeshiva. They were going to start, I believe it was like a spin-off, or maybe it was going to be to take over the Slabatka Yeshiva. So the rabbi, the Rosh Hashiva of the Yeshiva, is known as the Altar of Slabatka, went to a young rabbi named Rav Bakst. And he said, we've looked into you, and we've decided that you're the man to become the Rosh Hashiva of this Yeshiva. There aren't too many positions in the world that were as prestigious in the Torah world as that position. Rav Bax says, I need a few days, I'll get back to you. A few days. Like you're supposed to be, where do I sign? I need a few days. He comes back a few days later and he says, I'm sorry, I can't take the position. He says, what? He says, yeah, I can't take the position. He says, can you explain this to me? He says, yes, I will. He says, you see, a few years ago, 
I was, there was a, a man who was a wealthy man who passed away, left a widow and four daughters. And he left his widow instructions for his four daughters to marry tremendous rabbis, Tamidecha Hamid. I was engaged to one of those daughters. And just as a part of the engagement, they brought me to see the family business. Now, I was trying to be a nice person. It wasn't really something I was interested in. I was all interested in my learning, and that was it. But I said, let me just, like, you know, so I asked some questions. Well, what's this? What does that do? How does that do? How does that work? The mother-in-law, the mother of the girl, said, this man is too interested in business and is not planning to be a great Rosh Hashiva. She's not for my daughter, and she broke off the engagement. And instead, that girl got married to another man. I said to myself, if I now become Rosh Hashiva of Slabadka Yeshiva, that widow is going to be hurt. Because she's going to say, ooh, I made a bad decision. He says, so where'd you go? She say, he says, I went to go find out if the widow was still alive, and she is. And I went to find out if that daughter's husband is doing anything. Now it turns out he's still studying in Kolel and he's not a Rosh Hashiva. So I said, if I become Rosh Hashiva, it's going to be too hurtful. So I'd like to suggest that if you need someone to be the Rosh Hashiva, why don't you get Rav Epstein, who is married to that girl? Now, I don't know about you, but if it was me, <laughs> you guys know me too well, if they came and said, you could be Rosh Hashiva, I would, the first thing I'd do is take the sign, put it on top of my car, I don't care which car I'm driving, and pass by that lady's house and say, I am Rosh Hashiva. Yes, you doubted me? You thought I couldn't do it? Oh, yes, I did. Where's that guy now? Your son-in-law, what's he doing these days? That's what I, maybe I would have been nice about it and I wouldn't have stuck in her face. But I sure would have taken that position. Are you kidding me? Here's my chance. I, but someone doubted me. Someone thought I couldn't do it. I couldn't wait for that opportunity. And he didn't take it. And that other man who married that girl became the Rosh Yeshiva of the Slabodka Yeshiva. It's mind-boggling. How confident and comfortable in yourself do you need to be to be able to say, I don't need it. I don't need that, that to, you know, authenticize me. I don't need that approval. I don't need that. I know what I am. I don't need a position to remind me who I am. I don't need a post. I don't need a title. I don't need power to tell everybody what I am. I know who I am. The beauty is, is that other man became the Rosh Yeshiva of Sabatka, and after World War II, the Yeshiva transported to Israel. And today, the Rosh Yeshiva of Sabatka in Israel today is the grandson of that man who took the position. The man who took the position. But what's cool about it is that grandson is married to the other rabbi's granddaughter. <laughs> I read, my mother-in-law gave me the story on Shabbat, it was in some one of the papers, I don't know, and I said, wow, I think it's from that Yael Gold, he tells those stories, is that his name? But it's such a powerful thing. We're trained in our society, like that's what half of sports is about, prove them wrong. You know what that means? That means I'm not comfortable in my own skin until you know how great I am. If that's how I'm going to live, I am never going to live. I'm never, ever going to live. Abraham Avinu, 
when he became Abraham, what was added to his name? A hey. Because he meant he was completely comfortable being himself. I don't care if the rest of the world thinks he's nuts. I am Abraham and I know what I'm here to be. That Ambam writes that every day when a man puts on tefillin, it makes him more fearful of God. It makes him more humble. It takes him out of the nonsense and the schok and the kalot rosh, the nonsense and the jokes and the mockery and the cynicism of society. What's he talking about? What he's talking about is this, is that if you put on tefillin with that right purpose, of bringing yourself back in, then you remove yourself from all of that. And there's no better feeling than being you. Not, it's not cool to be somebody else or to be better than somebody else or outprove someone else or outjump, outrun, outlearn, outteach, outspeak, out money, outsucceed, outkid, outmarriage. It's not, that's, that's not meaningful. What's meaningful is to be you. There's no greater experience than being you. That's why tefillin is the thing we wear to commemorate Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Because when we left Egypt, we became free. And the definition of freedom is you being yourself and not being tied down to anything else or anybody else. I want to end with one last little thought. And then we're off for two weeks. Until January 31st. One last little thought. There have been a lot of tough things that's happened this past half a year. But actually this weekend, this past weekend, had some beauty. I was invited, I don't know if in my whole life I was invited to one. Yet this past weekend I was invited to three sudat wada'ot. Three sudat to thank Hashem. And they were all beautiful. And they were all inspiring. They really all were. Like each one of them I walked out in awe. The one on Sunday was huge. There was literally four or five hundred people that came to this event. Not one person that walked out, if anyone here in this room was there, you know, if you walked out of that event, you walked out and you said, I am a different person today. Not one person walked out of there, the same person. I'm not exaggerating. Not one person walked out of there, the same person. The kids spoke, the, the, the brother of the little, there was the little girl, Sally, who was sick and got better. Her brother spoke, her father spoke. I spoke, Charlie Arari spoke, he was pretty good. Um, in fact, on Shabbat, I told my mother-in-law, I said, Ma, you know, Charlie Arari and I are going to be speaking tomorrow. My mother-in-law says, you mean Charlie Arari speaking? i got to come. I'm like, hi, Ma. <laughs> like, I had to be comfortable in my own skin, it's okay. <laughs> but it was, and then they showed a video of the six months where they took these little videos of the girl and the family and her cutting her hair because she's about to lose it and then shaving her head and then her dancing in the hospital after each chemo event and the family parties and everyone walked out inspired and everybody walked out saying like wow what emunah in Hashem because they, they spoke about Hashem in such real beautiful beautiful terms but here's what I walked out with I can't believe how authentic they were willing to be. They showed on their video doing goofy things and the girl bopping their head and doing and they're doing dancing, the father's wearing big glasses. And I know most of our kids would say, Dad, you can't put that on the video, you have funny glasses on. Dad, I know you're bopping your head. Everyone has to see this, everyone has to know. 
they're just comfortable. And some of what was so inspiring about it is to see a family in the community that we do what we do. And the husband's brought in, the wife brought in, and all the kids buy in. This is what we do. It's okay if not everyone does it the same way. And not everyone would crack that joke or dance to that music or sing this way or act this way. But this is us. And the beauty was that on Wednesday night, before this past Sunday, I was invited to a quick sudato. That was one of the three. And it was a small one in the house. I didn't even know the person was sick. And he said, can you give a speech? And I gave a quick half-hour speech about strength and courage. And when I was walking out of the, I was really running this on the house, I'm walking out, the man who was sick walks me out, he says, Rabbi, I just want you to know something. I said, what is it? He says, I need you to know what gave me the strength through this whole time. I said, what is it? He says, I got the disease right before Kippur. And when I was in shul on Yom Kippur, I saw this five-year-old girl walk in with a bald head and her father, the girl whose party was on Sunday. And he said, I said to myself, if she has the strength, if her parents have the strength, then I can have the strength. And that's what took me through the whole thing. You think that being you hurts you? There's nothing more impressive. There's nothing more inspiring. There's nothing that's, that makes me more say, like, I wish I was that, than watching someone be themselves. So, winter vacation's coming, and we have all these things that happen in our community. We do it all together, and it's awesome. But don't run away from yourself. We have five senses to kind of identify who I am and what I do. I'm really going to conclude with this last quote. And then we'll wrap it up. I have a book recently that has quotes. I don't know if you noticed. You have to dance like nobody's watching. Love like you'll never get hurt. Sing like there's nobody listening. And live like it's heaven on earth. In other words, you have to be the best you. You have to be the smartest you. You have to be the ultimate you. You have to be the you that you respect, the you that you were put on this purpose to become. Because after 120 years, Hashem's going to ask you, Rabban Gamliel, the rabbi who took the Rosh Hashiva position, the rabbi who didn't take the Rosh Hashiva position, Adam Harishon, Abraham Avinu, God's going to ask every single one of us the same question. Every single one of us, He's going to ask one question. And it's not going to be hard, and it's not going to be long. It's going to be one word, and it's going to be so powerful and so strong. He's simply going to ask, Ayeka. Thank you. Thank you.